Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed M., Mike P., and of course, Gina. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, Gina, I'll turn you again. Yes. Big story. Of the week. What's the big story of the week? Oh, my God. I don't probably just the poll numbers um, that have shifted from all of these congressional districts from probably Democrat to now um, the GOP being up by like 10 points in a lot of deep blue areas. I, I, I've just been watching the races. That's been the biggest thing. Watching um, Zeldin surpass Kathy Hochul has been amazing. And I'm excited to see that race. The Zeldin one is quite interesting. Um, not holding my breath for him to win, but I think it's in play, which mm -hmm. for New York is absolutely unbelievable. I said to my wife, this is the first time in like two decades that it matters if we vote in an election in New York. Mm -hmm. When did Pataki last win? I think like it's 20 years. <laughs> Long time ago. It's unbelievable. So yeah, I'm mm -hmm. excited to vote for something that matters and supposedly he's got a chance, even though he's an anti-Semite Jew. Who is Zeldin? Yeah, they accused him. I forget who. Somebody accused him of being an anti-Semite. Whoops. That was when he was hanging out with Yee. With Yee. It's interesting that the the Orthodox Jews, who are generally conservative politically, but don't always vote that way, a whole bunch of the leaders have come out officially pro-Zeldin, which is a little bit surprising because they're usually careful not to tick off the other side. So one big group has come out for Hakel, So, but I'm kind of surprised that they're sticking their necks out. I don't know if it's because they know he's going to win because they know they have no excuse not to back him because he's great, but it is interesting to see. Well, I think it's great that Kathy Hochul sucks so bad that Hillary and Kamala are coming to her rescue for her little rally. <laughs> She's got to try and push her whoa, whoa, over. Whoa, whoa. So when you, when you call in Kamala Harris, you know it's going bad. Gina, I love you, but how would you feel if I sent Kamala and Hillary to you? <laughs> oh Lord! Well, see, but that's the thing because she may be so brainwashed that she thinks that they're doing a good job because she obviously thinks she's doing a good job. You know, she's at least told everybody that she's actually doing something to solve the crime problems, not just talking about it. So um, she may think they're doing something too. I don't, I don't know how naive she is, or how bubble she lives in. Exactly. Exactly. Mike, you still live close to here. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any opinion on Zeldin? Look, I mean, it looks like he has a shot. I, I agree that, um, you know, things have been trending in the Republicans' favor at this point uh, as we head toward the, the, uh, the finish line. So, you know, hopefully we, we get some big victories and uh, hopefully they, they can manage to take the Senate in, in, in addition to the House. Um, but, you know, at this point, I just, I, I mean, what does it take for an electorate to, to vote Republican when you live in a place like New York or New York City, where you know things have deteriorated so unbelievably. When we, you know, we see the video from last week of the guy just, you know, making a beeline towards the guy on the subway platform and pushing him overboard. I mean, how do you, how do you just tolerate living with those conditions so and not? I, I assume in, you're not in the blame of the people in power. You're not an acolyte of Joy Behar, I take it. <laughs> Who said crime is not on the rise, and she's not the only oh, sure, one fascinating yeah. about it. Um, yeah. again, well, are they in the bubble or just lying? 
I think the answer to Mike's question is is in what I think is the biggest story of the week, which is Bolsonaro's loss. I think election fraud is still out there. And, you know, every, the the Bolsonaro's party won big victories on every down ballot ticket. The only place they lost, that party lost, was in the presidential race. There was some disturbing, you shared one story, Steve, in, in, the, in the show notes about the similarities between the way the votes were counted down there and the way the votes were counted in 2020 between Biden and Trump. And Mike, how could how what do, what do the voters have to do? They have to deal with voter fraud issues. That's that's what I'm most concerned about. Well, well I see, we, I'll get back to yours, but I see Mike's question as how can Fetterman get one percent of the votes? I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that it's not a hundred to nothing in some of these is is just unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, you expect you you accept that there's a portion that's going to vote a certain way, no matter what, no matter if the guy can't, you know, put his pants on right in the morning, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, a guy like Fetterman, I, I don't know how he's not down by 10 points at this at this stage, considering what we've seen. But OK, so Ed, you know, I want to get nothing surprises. I'm not following Brazil very closely. Whoops. Uh, I am in the middle of a meeting. I'll call you back. <laughs> So the one thing that I can say about Brazil, so when I have just read different articles about it and whatnot, it's because of one primarily heavily populated area that he ended up losing. So same thing with us, like how Trump would have lost if we didn't have the Electoral College. And that is supposedly, um, from everything that I've put together, why he lost that race. So my first question is, if you're following this closely, has he conceded and is this over? I believe he conceded the next day, did he not? Um, anybody following this closely? Not no. close enough. I don't know. Maybe somebody uh, hit the beat and find out. My understanding was he had it, but I'm not following it closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and again, this is what, Brazil? So... I, I don't know if we can make the same comparisons or not. Maybe we can, maybe we can't. But I, I don't expect much yeah. out of elections in some of these countries. So he does not concede, but he did say that he will he will cooperate with the transfer of power. If, is there I apologize, Stephen. I know that, you have... Sorry. No we're trying to figure out, Ed, if uh, Bolsonaro conceded, and is that election really over? I think he did not concede, but he's not challenging either. He's shorter just right. cat. So what does that mean? I think he's waiting to see, I think, how much, how pissed off the people are. That's what I think is going on, but I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I have been following the Israeli elections very closely. I've been on Israeli radio like nonstop for 20 hours. And among the many fascinating things there is I haven't heard big accusations of cheating yet, which Mm. I'm a little surprised because it looked like Netanyahu and his bloc finally after five elections won a tremendous victory. And Israel is incredibly like America in, in many, many ways. And I'm surprised we're not hearing more cheating um, accusations, which hopefully is a good sign. Well, we don't know what's going to happen in the wee hours of election night. 
Well, Israel's already passed one wee hours. They only have one more. They're counting yeah. their... Uh, I'm talking their, about... Uh, yeah, absentee ballots or something tonight. But there's also shenanigans there. And I, like I say, I'm surprised that nobody's yelling about it. Again, mm -hmm. I'm not following Brazil closely. I know that on one of the threads that our fearless leader is on, one of the, uh, what do you call it? Shall we say peaceful separation groups? We have a bunch <laughs> of members from Brazil and they've been chiming in a lot but I haven't had a chance to follow it in the last few hours. Yep, I mean, this is the thing that's been in the back of our minds for months now, right? Is what are the Democrats going to do? What are, what kind of shenanigans are they going to pull? Right, and, now, uh, does it mean we'll that they're not going to pull too many if the media is starting to talk honestly about polls? Are they giving up on that? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think that the the, the there are, pathetic attempt to spin the Paul Pelosi story shows that they're still trying to, to BS their way to a victory. Um, but it was a little heartening for me to see how how transparently stupid and phony their excuse was for the Paul Pelosi thing. It, to me, it shows that the morons are in charge. And I don't, even if they're trying to cheat, I'm not so sure that that you've got such a sophisticated machine as you did in 2020. For 2022. So um, I don't know what's the absolute latest up to the minute report on Pelosi. Have they proven that he's been at MAGA rallies yet? No, no, he is a hippie school bus living in underwear wearing progressive crazy head. That's a, the word I got. He's a crazy head. Okay. No, he's a originally well, he somebody said. else opened the door and then they said somebody else didn't open the door. He did break. They have, they have said everything. Through. They said it was a love triangle, all kinds of crap that they were both in their skin. Why am I leaning? I'm leaning towards this guy was an invited guest for whatever reason. And something. of course, he was an invited guest. You don't get into the Pelosi's house. Thank you. Without being invited. I mean, Wait, have you tried it? Yeah. Huh? Have you tried it? supposedly he's been people have tried to sue him and they can't get yeah. him to they can't they're not able to serve process on him because he's so protected by security I can't, not a, anybody yeah. gets within 100 feet of his house I'm, that was yeah. my first um and, and why was there no cameras on why were there no cameras not even a ring yeah, doorbell I, I, no there were cameras they weren't looking like doorbell the no latest doorbell. the latest excuse from the police is there are cameras but they weren't looking at them Right, because they, they were manned by the same by the people that were watching Epstein. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. I'm glad I'm on the show with you. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was an invited guest. I don't think he was invited there for any particularly positive reason. Mm -hmm. And I think something went wrong. I'm not 100% sure how they hit yeah. each other with hammers in front of cops. Well, if you really want to be cynical, you're thinking, hey, Jesse Smollett, number two, is that what we're looking at here? Some kind of a setup? I think it was a gay love thing. And he forgot to say I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just throwing that out. He forgot the safe <laughs> word. That's all that happened. He's 83 years old. He forgot the safe word. Oh, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty sad story. But what, what's so sad is, and this kind of reminds me of Ed Maslisch, the press is unabashed. And it's changing yeah. the story. It's we're, we're so 1984. They don't care. What, what was it? I think Bongino was quoting like Politico writes a story and then a day later mm -hmm. says their story is a conspiracy theory, forgetting that they wrote the story. Yeah. Well, it's like that other story about uh, 
from the Atlantic calling for a pandemic amnesty. Yeah, let's talk about that story. Like it didn't happen? (laughs) Let's talk. Ed, Ed, uh, pontificate a little bit on what that story said. The story pretended like we all just had this reasonable difference of opinion and we all got along to get along and we went, you know, we just decided we made the best choices that we could. And, you know, it's unfortunate that some people got hurt by the vaccines and some people lost their jobs, but we shouldn't try and have any recriminations. We shouldn't have any accountability. All the errors were were honest mistakes and let's just move on, which is just utterly contemptible. Well, we'll see in like a week that there was a letter sent from these school union or teachers unions that'll come out and they sent that to the Atlantic. We'll see something from the White House press room that got sent to them. So, yeah, there'll be all kinds of leaked documents of why that article was actually written. Yeah. Can't we all just get along and move yeah. on? And well, by the out. way, I, I would love to parody that article and substitute the word Trump in there. For every time it says we were just making honest mistakes and we should move forward and not. Yeah. Yeah. Why why does an article like that even come out unless they're basically admitting that there was wrongdoing? Well, that somebody had them write that. You know? Well, of course, it's becoming impossible to deny. I mean, they're still trying to deny it, but there's going to come a point where they can't where the evidence is so overwhelming that they can't deny it. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I think they'll I think they'll deny it until eternity. And I, I see people it. now. They'll, they'll now I see. Uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook, and the CDC is advertising. They're pushing the shots for the little kids, and there's still people saying, "Oh yeah, I got to get my shot. I just got my flu shot. I got this shot. I got oh, I got twelve shots at once, and I, I, I felt bad for like a day, but I'm okay now. You know, th- they're not, they're not gonna switch, no matter how much. Yeah, but like, listen to what I just said, Mike. They could switch on a dime and literally Winston Smith the website. Listen, they're saying they're the ones tough on crime. And then you have the announcement today about how wonderful it is that the Social Security COLA went up so high. Hey, listen, inflation is not due to economic conditions. It's because big corporations are uh, reaping in windfall profits. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's fascinating the kind of stuff that they try to throw out there, throw out there, you know. Again, the election is going to tell how many people believe this rot, I guess, to an extent. Uh, there's always going to be true believers, no matter what. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think Gina, you're totally right that the Atlantic story is coming from somewhere. My uh, recollection tells me that's Bezos' wife's paper magazine. I believe so. Yeah, it's a that pretty amazing right. story. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was that's my nice. last free story from Atlantic, which means I must be reading way too many, far, way <laughs> far too many stories. From Atlantic. So, um, Mike, what's your biggest story of the week? Oh, I mean, I, I think that um, there's probably a few still. I mean, the election obviously is one. I think the economic conditions continue to be very much top of top of mind um, with inflation and everything like that. I thought another huge story this week was that um, that expose uh, on how the government is colluding, has been colluding with big tech to infringe on our free speech. Now, I mean, obviously there's been some evidence of this and we suspected it for quite a long time too, but I think that's a pretty big blockbuster story that was out there by The Intercept 
basically detailing how the DHS, the FBI, the Biden administration have been, just like I said, colluding with big tech, uh, with, with the Twitters of the world, the Facebooks of the world, to silence opposing political voices. And that is now, it's no longer that you can say, oh, it's just a private actor, it's a private company, they can do whatever they want. No, this was actually our government trying to infringe mm -hmm. on our First Amendment rights to free speech. And you want to talk about accountability? There should be accountability for that because it's what they did was totally unconstitutional and still ongoing, as far as I can tell. I wonder if you can still buy pitchforks on Amazon. Because I have to tell you that that story, I tend to think that may be the biggest story. And seriously, why aren't there pitchforks? This is so bad, such an undermining of our country. And where's the uproar? Yeah. Yeah. And for all the howls and cries from the left, oh, Trump's a fascist. Trump's a, Trump is a fascist. Everybody's on the, on, the, on the right is a fascist. Oh, so they're OK with go government and big corporations, big tech, you know, taking steps to silence our free speech rights. It's just disgusting. Why does Brian Williams still have a job? Why isn't Dan Rather in jail? I mean, not that I want him in jail, but I mean, if these people were serious, I mean, they're not serious. We don't have to show their hypocrisy. They're just blatant liars, and they're relying on us giving them the benefit of the doubt. They are so evil and so vile that their position doesn't deserve even yeah. the debate that we're having. They just, they're liars. That's all they are. Right. I mean, it's fascinating how the left and leftists just try to expect that we forget everything that's happened with our own eyes and ears. The BLMs, the Antifas and everything, the, the Soros prosecutors letting criminals out on the street. You know, I mean, I had a little Facebook war with some people this week after the uh, the, the Pelosi story, because one, one of the outlets was was trying to say, oh, there's been a rise in, in violence since January 6th, trying mm -hmm. to make it political, assuming something about the, uh, you know, the guy who was in the house and all that stuff. I mean, on and on, they, they expect us to forget. They expect us to forget like we're stupid. You know what I mean? But we do and forget they, and we they, are stupid. They make, they make up stuff about us all the time. It's just like Ed says, everything that, that they accuse us of is a confession, you know, to make it out like we're the violent ones. Like, so I shared, I shared with you a headline from the New York Post. New York man sprung on no bail in Facebook posted beating executes wife in front of kids just hours later. Now, somehow they're going to pin that on the Republicans that this guy got out with no bail and killed somebody a couple hours later or say to Zeldin, why are you so concerned about crime? Yeah, or they'll, call, or they'll call him a racist for even bringing it up instead of addressing just the crime that happened while you're bringing it up and he's black. You racist. I mean, the point is, we are pretty dumb. And if we don't sweep every seat in the House, we are dumb. And that, that's, to me, the scary part. I mean, the hope now is 53, 54 Senate seats. The question mm -hmm. is, why would we lose any of them? I think that we're going to win some that we don't expect to win. I think Washington State, for example, is going to is going to surprise people. I'm your somebody say that. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the Republicans are going to win despite themselves. I mean, let's be real. Well, it's not like it's not like they're. They're running a great campaign, you know. Now, as much as McConnell's trying to sink Bulldog in New Hampshire, they say he has a decent chance right now, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. And I guess what's depressing to me is we have to remember what we say and what many other people say, 
Republicans aren't going to do anything if they win. They'll just do I mean, I have I have to laugh in New Jersey because one of the races I'm watching is Tom Kane Jr. versus Tom Malinowski. Tom Kane Jr. is the son of the former governor of New Jersey back in the 80s. He was in the state legislature forever. He's the epitome of a moderate and establishment Republican. And I just laugh at these commercials they're running, trying to make him out to, to be some Trump MAGA Republican. So it's funny, but uh, that's that's a race I think that's of interest uh, to see if it flips. Uh, the Godheimer uh, Pilata race here in my district, uh, which is um, Bergen County, parts of Passaic County, Sus Sussex County. Godheimer is now a three-term in incumbent uh, Democrat. He's you know a fake moderate, votes with the Demo Democrats, Pelosi et, et al. all the time, but then claims he's for tax cuts and things like that. So uh, those are two of the races I'm looking at. Yeah, I don't think anything matters in New Jersey. Since you're not electing a governor, you're not going to flip your houses. No, I mean, obviously, New Jersey is off year, but um, no, I mean, these are still important races because uh, it wasn't until a few cycles ago that it was basically an even split of Republicans and Democrats in New Jersey. It was like six, six or six, five or something like that. And it's now like 10 to one. So there's a big New Jersey is a big reason the Democrats control Congress. So it's, it's important to see if they can get a couple of those seats back this cycle, if they can't do it this I don't know when they're going to ever be able to do it. But again, all they'll do if they control Congress is drive a little slower off the cliff. I don't think anybody no. is dumb enough to think they're actually going to do anything. No, I well, mean, see, we just, sorry, we just change up the, the, the crazy party for the stupid party. But go ahead, Gina. Well, no, I was just going to say, so, you know, you keep mentioning that they're not going to do anything. And I'm really, really wondering with as many mega mega candidates, I guess you'd say, that will possibly be getting into Congress, if that is going to put enough pressure on the establishment, when you get the J.D. Vances in there to come and back up Matt Gaetz and to back up um, MTG and all that, if there will be enough of them, Maya Flores and all of these Latino women, if there is going to be enough to say, hey, we're going to call our own party out if y'all don't step up. You know what I'm saying? There's just, there's got to be some type of interaction where they're going to have more people coming forward to fight. So I don't, oh, we'll, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that's going to be the case before they even hope. get sworn in, because if they're going to fight, the first fight they're going to have is McConnell can't be our leader and McCarthy can't be our leader. Right. So see, we'll and, see. The, and see at the same time, do they keep McCarthy as their leader, but still work something on the backside? What backside? Same way, why, so when I say backside, so Joe Manchin, why did he change his vote? There was something happening. Everybody thought he was going one way. He went another, there was something, there was some benefit he was getting. There was something going on behind the scenes that we didn't see for him to flip-flop the way that he kept doing. So that's where I'm saying, if there are these, these groups of conservatives that come together on the backside, they appease McCarthy here, he gets the role, but yet they're working their own agenda. They'll get, they'll get a few crumbs. But if yeah. McCarthy and McConnell get voted back in, which I assume the odds are that they will, that's all they'll get is crumbs. I don't know how big you need a Freedom Caucus to be to really make a difference in the Congress. Mm. Well, we'll the Republican Party is supposed to be the Freedom Caucus, but we, we know it's only, They're you the know, probably can't count on one hand how many, right? So listen, it, it'll help to have a bigger number in that faction of the party. But I think we know where this. Is going I mean, they're to not. Listen, they're not going to pass horrible things, but they're not going to 
rescind anything. They're not going to repeal anything. They'll talk well, about you know, it. Steve, I actually have a little more hope if if they if they win the way that we think they're going to win, because I think it it's going to be just like the the 2015 and 16 Congress when they won the big they won another big victory against Obama against the Democrats, but Obama was still able to veto anything that they saw they passed. So what did they they passed like seven or eight repeals of Obamacare and then you know Obama vetoes them and then yeah. as soon as Trump becomes but president. Oh, no, we can't pass those exact same bills. Well, you're being more cynical because I think you're saying they only pass these bills because they know they're going to be vetoed and they can go home exactly. and campaign on it. So that's more. Cynical. I don't think that's being cynical. I think that's being observant. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to bring Alu in here to be the ultimate uh, arbiter of who's more cynical. I think it's very, very cynical that when they really have power, they do nothing as proven by when they control mm -hmm. both houses. Do they do anything? Well, in fairness, I think that there's a civil war going on in the Republican Party. Our side is not winning yet, but we're making some progress. I think, you know, you mentioned the Bulldog race against Hassan in, in New Hampshire. I think that McConnell pulling his money and more importantly, the fact that, that, that him pulling the money has become publicized, I think it's going to have the same effect as, as Liz Cheney endorsing, you know, Carrie Lake's opponent and J.D. Vance's opponent. I think that it's going it, to it's going to mobilize Republicans who hate McConnell to come out and vote for Bulldog. And mm -hmm. I think that that's starting to play out in, in Republican races around the country. Unfortunately, we didn't win enough primaries for it to really matter. But we've got a couple of squeaky wheels that are going to require a lot of grease over the next two years, assuming they win. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, I you know, I don't you know, I hate to sound like a like a communist five year plan guy, but, you know, we're just going to have to be a little bit patient. So my cynical self says that a McConnell knows very well how to squash opponents. Um, he just only uses it on Republicans. And B, I think to a certain extent, when people fight hard to get into Congress, when they finally get there, it's almost like you automatically have a sigh of relief and lose half of your energy to do anything. You realize how hard it is. You realize you got to where you want to go. You start to compromise. It's not easy to actually fight to get what you want. Well, let's assume they win big, right? I mean, what, what's their mandate? Nothing. They haven't run on anything. This is part of the problem. You know, from our perspective, I mean, I think it couldn't be any, any simpler at this point. They've got to rein in government. And they've got to use the purse strings not only to cut expenditures as much as possible, but to defund the left. By the way, that well, is the one that, that, Mike. I think the biggest thing they I think can, that can what do. Somebody needs to stand up, somebody who has a basic understanding of economics, and point out that the reason for these Fed, in, Fed rate increases is to try and curb business and personal spending, and that the better alternative is to cut government spending. Yeah. So that is an easy argument to make if you understand it. And that is the argument that needs to be made. And All we right. can start, as you said, by defunding the left's programs. And, and do me a favor, just elaborate on the first part of that, because that was kind of interesting. When you say the reason they're raising the rates is to curb, I guess, private activity. What do you mean? How do you see that? Well, the it's not how I see it. The Fed is, Powell has admitted it. He said that we need to reduce spending. We need to reduce business investment and we need to reduce personal spending. 
And we're going to have to increase unemployment in order to get inflation down. And that's standard economics analysis today. It's standard Keynesian economic analysis. And I'll, you know, I don't mean to throw jargon at you, but it's just what they're trying to do is inflation results when there's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Right now, we have two problems. One, we printed a whole lot of money. And number two, we've got supply chain issues from all the lockdowns from COVID. So we've got a lot of dollars chasing fewer and fewer goods. That is what's leading to inflation. So Powell's solution is, okay, well, we've got to cut down, we've got to cut down on the amount of on the amount of buying that the private sector is doing, whether it's businesses through investment or private individuals through consumption. If they stop buying and they and the businesses stop buying, when you reduce the, the amount of buyers, prices come down. That it's a supply and the more buy, the more buyers, the more dollars in the market trying to buy, the, the higher prices go. So they're trying to crush demand. And if they crush demand, prices will start to come down. That's the theory. And, and it's not just theory, that's true. The problem is we need to cut government spending, not private spending. Okay, so I didn't really see that. And uh, no, I look befuddled because I don't usually I my eyes glass over when I hear this stuff and I don't believe anything anybody says anyway. So I did not know that they're actually saying that. So who, if anybody is actually saying cut government spending, that means it. Because the only thing Republicans could do if they control Congress is shut the government down. Now the chances of that, I guess, one in a million. Other than that, they have no power. But that's that's all the power. The power of the purse. <laughs> is the power it's right, the that's what i'm talking that's exactly you led me to say that and yeah. that is what they could do and that would make a difference but they'll never do it they won't defund anything well those are two different things right i mean even when they shut the government down they're only shutting like a sixth of the government down. yeah i mean that itself is a big lie i get that but, but i don't they really defund i mean you know it depends you know rand paul has a real had, had a real plan to to, you know, to cut government spending by, you know, 1% a year. There, you know, Massey so, has talked about it. There, there are the some penny people plan. talking about it. That was the penny plan. that they I had. think it was a penny plan, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, that, see, you call it a penny plan. I, to me, it's the 1% plan. See, and I'm wondering, and I'm going to go back, and I'm wondering, so like you mentioned Rand Paul, and I just think if we get enough seats in there, I'm just reverting back to the whole Congress thing. If we have those strong leaders, you know, the Jim Jordans, do you think there's enough people in there to push for a new leader of the party in the Senate and in the House? I think there's enough to push. I don't know if there's enough to win, but it depends on how big the victory is and how uh, con how convincing the victory is. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, like Rand, Rand Paul's absolutely awesome. And if we can get people rallied behind him, you know, and if he can take the lead, oh, my gosh. Sorry, I reverted. My bad. No, it's it's all oh. part of the same discussion. Right. I just think leadership control so much money and so much power that, you know, it's like, if you're going to shoot the king, you know, hit him with the first bullet, right. they're going to make sure everybody knows from day one that don't, I mean, don't no. have to be. I mean, I think after next week, we'll probably have, obviously we'll have a better sense of where things are and talk further about this. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, they're going to need to, again, show the American people that 
that they're capable of doing something really positive and holding hearings about Biden and Hunter Biden and this and that, while some of it may be necessary, isn't going to do it. And if they're not going to do what really needs to be done, I, I just I, I don't know what they're going to be able to show, because I think we're all in agreement. I would think that things are not going to get better. They're not about to get any better economically I and mean, things are probably going to get worse. And so they're going to have to deal with that. Because at this point, it's one party rule and they're not taking any of that blame. But, you know, if we look ahead a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if in two years they're going to be able to say that. OK, Ed, am I correct that they do only have one arrow in their quiver and that's the shut government? I don't well, know. I mean, they can impeach people and they can just. No, they can't win an impeachment. I mean, they don't have enough people for that. They have enough nothing... people to not pass a budget and shut government. They don't have but... enough people to impeach somebody. I mean, they don't have enough. The, they don't have enough to impeach Biden, but they might have enough to convict Merrick Garland. They might have enough to to convict Mayorkas. I can't believe in the Senate they'll get but, any any Democrats. I mean, they, they they could take a big step just by going back to a normal budget process, which hasn't been done in almost two decades. I think. Uh, to, you know, right? To have, does anybody think they're going to do that properly? Pass a budget. That's how you. Find ways to cut spending. See, what yeah, about just you know, even like appoint? Will they have the majority to appoint conservative judges and get rid of some of the? I mean, no, they don't appoint appointing. judges. Oh, the, the president makes the appointment. Right, they nothing changes. Them. That's what I'm asking. Is there more than one quiver? They only have enough to stop funding things if they're going to shut the government. Other than well, that, they have no well, power. They can still. Can they not change leadership? But they still can't do anything. What can even if they had the best? Oh, no, thing, but. Stephen, you're right. In a larger sense, you're right. They, they, they only have the power to say no in, in the government itself. But what's going to happen once this Congress gets sworn in in January? You, you, by, by March or April, people are going to start declaring for president for, for, next, for next cycle. And we're going to need some leaders who are going to be willing to take, have leader, take leadership and say, elect me and I will work with MTG and Gates and Vance and whatever. And here's what we're going to do. I mean, you're just going to, you're going to have to make the argument. That's the thing the Republicans haven't done. That's what Mike brought up. You have to make the argument before you go for radical change. You can't just try and fool people into getting elected and then go for big change. Nobody is going to buy that. They're going to say, you, you didn't tell us this is what you were going to do. So they're going to need to work with the, the candidates and come up with, with messaging that makes the argument for fixing the problem. So, I mean, to be honest, which I try to be once a year, um, I think it kind of makes it harder in the sense that let's say the best guy runs for president and he says, if you vote for me and we still have this great Congress, we're going to be able to do things. And then the smart people are going to say, come on, these people in Congress aren't going to do much. Maybe the 40 good ones, the 50 good ones. The only way to really make something happen is to get rid of the bad ones. And how many Republican presidential candidates can run on primarying all the rhinos in Congress? But see, it's not, I mean, I know I said it's going to be the presidential candidates, but it's not just the presidential candidates. I mean, for instance, Carrie Lake is going to win the governorship in, in Arizona. And she has said that on day one, she's going to declare an emergency and she's going to send the, the National Guard to the border and they're going to protect the border. And I'm talking she, about Congress. I'm not talking about governors. Governors can do great. She can things. take a leadership position that, that say, 
Greg Abbott has not taken. And she, no, can, but- and, and, and she can say, hey, Congress, hey, Republicans in Congress, you are in control. Don't leave me hanging. You know, they they one of the only interviews I heard with her was they asked her, why didn't she run for Congress? And she must be channeling the Liberty Block because she's like, I don't want to be one of 435 people or 535 people who can't do anything. I want to be able to do something. I have no doubt that somebody like that as a governor can do tremendous things in their state. But I don't think they have any influence over Congress. And frankly, I don't think Abbott cares anyway. Abbott just. Well, I, I mean, I, I think a governor, a governor can change the narrative. I think DeSantis changes the narrative. Exactly. I think even Chris Christie, you know, despite all his flaws, when he when he went after the public sector unions on the pension issues, I think that made a big impact. You know, so I, I think a governor can, can, you know, move the ball down the field in certain ways. You know, they can pay. It can pave the way for even exactly. Well, it other, brings other it brings the momentum behind it, them. It brings and, the momentum they, behind them. Yeah. And 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 not only that, but they can her and DeSantis and Zeldin. Maybe Zeldin, although I'm not. I mean, I'm if not he sure. Wins, Zeldin if he wins, is, obviously. What? If he wins. I mean, I'm not sure Zeldin is is closer to DeSantis than he is to Youngkin. But if he is, then yes, Zeldin as well. These guys can can, for lack of a better word, they can shame the the Republican leadership in Congress. They can be the the counterweight that that we're calling for, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are are responsible for the problems that Congress won't fix. So they can speak up and say, "Hey, Congress, you need to do something. Stop grandstanding and do it." Okay, right. so uh, go ahead, Gina. Oh, I was just going to say, and that's the thing, calling out, hey, you have not done anything about the immigration crisis. You have not gone over the immigration policies and immigration law. This is your responsibility. This is why my state is facing this crisis, because you are failing to act. And that's where they will need to stand up and do that. Okay, so as an avid federalist slash secessionist, and also a major acolyte of the conservatarian exchange on the Liberty Block, I think the governors should say to hell with Congress and focus solely on their states and do things like putting up uh, big trailers in front of the border and saying, the heck with the feds, we're going to take care of the border problem. We're going right. to take over our problem. Why is it either or? Why can't they do both? Um, I don't think they could walk and chew gum. I think, again, I think the only hope is in the states. And I don't think there's any hope at all. I, I agree with that. But why can't they go and, and do the things that you're saying? And then when somebody says, well, you know, why are you putting barriers at the border? And then the, the turn, you know, I can see Carrie Lake turn around saying because Biden won't do it and because the, the Republicans in Congress won't do it. Mm-hmm. Why, 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 what's wrong with her saying that? Well, the Republicans, I agree with you, but the Republicans in Congress can't do it. So they have that. They can create a lot. For two more years. But you know what? They can start laying the predicate. I mean, again, they can start making the argument that it needs to be done instead of arguing about how are we going to do immigration reform, which is really what they want to do. So I guess the only difference is I have like 1% hope Congress will ever do anything. And I think salvation could come from a Carrie Lake and a DeSantis and a couple of other governors like that, but not through Congress at all, just by making a few states really great. And by showing leadership. I mean, that's the thing. These guys in, in Congress are not leaders. That's their problem. They, they, they're, not, they're not willing to stick their necks out. They're not willing to stick their toes out. So they need to, they need somebody who's going to lead the way. But by definition, people in Congress aren't leaders. By definition, they're one of 
you know, hundreds and hundreds, and they're not executives. And even if they wanted to be, they lose that by being in, in Congress. So it is up to governors to be the leaders. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, MTG's got bigger balls than any of them. So she's a wannabe leader and she talks great. And I think it's, it's fantastic to have her. Uh, maybe she should run for governorship at some point. And I think that then she would be tremendous and much more effective. And maybe that is a good thing she should do in four years or something. Maybe. Because I think that's the only place we can save is a few states. I think Carrie Lake potentially could be unbelievably um, effective and make a difference. Well, and I think that would be the same thing here in North Carolina. So, you know, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson will be announcing right after the new year that his candidacy for governor, and he's going to be that same one that is very vocal, calls them out within the party, you know, and the left. And so, yeah, those are the people that we need. Now, when is your election for governor? Not till 2024. Two years. Mm -hmm. And is he, is he that good? Oh, my gosh. Yes. I know he talks great, but I don't follow him. Yeah, no, he, he's great. And he he's actually a white racist, if I remember correctly. He's what? He's a white racist supremacist. Yes, yes, yes. He's a white supremacist. Yes. Yeah. He's a very, very tan white supremacist. But yes, my yes, only impression of him was super positive. But I'm not following him. Yeah. And no. He he's phenomenal. Who's he gonna go up against? Oh, that one I don't know. There's been a lot of talk of our attorney general um, Stein running for that position. So he's just he's Cooper's little minion. So we'll we'll see. But that's the only name that's so that is a big out. deal because that would be amazing if North Carolina again. I think the governors are the ones who make the difference. And you look at Congress, Lindsey Graham's not making a difference to anybody. A governor can make a tremendous difference, right? Which is well, and that you know, and it starts with the state. You know, we've got more power at the state level, you know, to come against it. And once we get those majorities in our local assemblies, that's where we can make the biggest impact. So, the what is North Carolina's government like now? The governor, right. which party? The governor is Democrat. And then our House and our Senate are both, uh, it's a majority Republican. However, we don't have the super majority. majority. So Cooper, which he's going to be one of your Democrat presidential candidates. Um, right. But Cooper has just vetoed away. He has gone red pen happy and we've had no recourse against it. You know, but I mean, our guys, they haven't been vocal about it either. And that's the disappointing thing. You know, I, I know there's a lot that they cannot do because of the veto power. However, you know, we, we just haven't had anybody that's real strong vocally, locally. Across not, the state. You don't see it improving next week? Oh, yeah. I think we're going to take the supermajority easily next week. I think so? Even even though our Democrat majority um, Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, gerrymandered big time and drew their own maps across our state. so. That they uh they they overreached quite a bit right there. So I'm I'm anxious to see how the more case goes in the Supreme Court. And do you agree that you could get a supermajority down there? We're only like two seats away and three mm -hmm. seats away in the two houses. So yes, I expect it's gonna happen. However, I expect that there are enough Mitt Romney types. That was my next question. types in our legislatures, in, in our two legislative houses that they'll just take turns siding with, with the Democrats and overriding a veto or, or blocking the override of a veto. Which kind of gets back to what I'm saying about Congress. The, the salvation comes from governors, especially after COVID where governors became absolute rulers. They can A, not do a lot of bad things and B, they can do some good things. Yeah. 
I mean, just Zeldin saying, you know, no way in heck are we going to put the vaccines on the childhood schedule. That's a big right. deal that no one would have cared about five years ago, such a crazy thing. I mean, you in yeah. New Jersey, Mike, you're telling me that it's a problem right now for your kids? Um, with the, the COVID, with, with the shots? Vaccine. Um, well, we haven't gotten there yet, right? So um, we'll see what happens after uh, after what happened with the CDC and everything. But no, we're not we're not at that stage yet. So we're you're not an about- automatic to go with the guidelines? No, no, nothing. I haven't seen anything on it. I'm sure he's waiting to see what happens in this election. Mm. No, but some states are automatic, I believe, aren't they? I'm not sure. I believe a bunch of states, if the CDC puts it in their schedule, a bunch of states automatically follow it. Yeah, it's like 27 states. I'm I'm sorry, Gina? I said, I think it's like 27 states that follow the CDC. That's exactly half. That's amazing. Yeah. Exactly. I want to know, I have a question, even though I favor states breaking off the country, which three states left the country between Obama and Biden? Say that one more time. Okay, Obama had 57 states. Biden the other day said there were 54. <laughs> which three states left? Uh, this is meant to be a joke. State of rationality. Uh... <laughs> Well, I'm sure Obama's <laughs> trying to figure out what happened. So very interesting. So I had another story. Um, it says NYPD insider email shows Mayor Adams ignoring court order to stop terminations over Vax mandate. Now, I know we had a similar discussion, I think, last week when I said New York's ignoring mm-hmm. the courts on the gun laws. And I know Ed says good for them in the sense that, you know what? heck with the courts or at least heck with the federal courts but again i think it proves what some of us argue democrats don't care what other authorities say they're going to do what they're going to do and that's why waiting for courts to solve things doesn't help yeah. in that direction well, they also have the benefit of never being held accountable for anything. well that's that, that's why they get away with it yeah yeah who's, who's going to hold them some back? courts do i mean our north carolina supreme court is elected and you know, we threw out the the chief justice in 2020. No, but who's going to hold a mayor accountable if he blows off a judge's order? You'd have to have a darn good sheriff of that county. Otherwise, it'd be nothing. That's the same thing with, you know, you had during the COVID mass mandates and all that. You had different sheriffs say, yes, we're going to enforce. And you'd have other ones put out statements. Hey, we're not violating the people's constitutional rights by doing this, you know. So it's going to come to the, the sheriffs. Do you like, Ed, do you like that better down there that you get to vote on the judges? Yes. I think accountability is vital. It doesn't infringe on their independence. It does infringe on their independence, but I don't think they should have that independence. So I guess the question is, people say the problem with electing judges is very, very few people have any clue who they vote for anyway when it comes to judges. Well, see, and that's the thing here. So this year on our ballot, they are 100% marked by party affiliation, which is great. But even even then, we really have no clue who they are. Yes, I do. I no, we don't know who they are, but that was a thing. On RRR, but 
Well, see, but we didn't have that on the ballot. A lot of places did not have that. And that is something this year that a lot of different um, local houses have put into place. And it's great because a lot of people were voting just because they recognized somebody's name and they were voting for Democrat and they had no idea. You know, so I, it's just it's beneficial. For well, us anyway, I can tell you just. I mean, I practiced law in New York and in New Jersey and in New York, judges are elected. The Supreme Court judges are elected. And in New Jersey, they're appointed by the governor. And my experience is that the judges in New Jersey were not just superior, but vastly superior. Um, so in that sense, the appointment process seemed to be better. Um, it, at least in New York City, almost every one of the judges was a hack. There were a few exceptions. Um, but the thing about elections is that they can be thrown out. And the problem really isn't that they're elected in New York. It's that the residents of New York City are so far gone that there's, there's, there's no way to help them. I mean, you could have an appointment process. I don't think Mayor Adams would, have, would appoint anybody better, you know, or Kathy Hockle would appoint anybody better to the courts in New York than the people themselves are electing because they're electing those people to office. Hmm. So, I mean, so both have their advantages and disadvantages. The appointments are done with a little bit more um, thought, hopefully. Usually. I mean, I, to me, the big advantage of the election is that they can be kicked. It's not a lifetime appointment. In New Jersey, they're appointed and they serve until they're 70 years old. And then they're forced to take retirement at 70. So do, well, do I, think, know, I think they have to get reappointed in New Jersey at one at that's what I was going to ask. That's the Supreme Court. That's just the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, my relative in Florida was just reappointed um, to the Judicial Nominating Commission. And at least there you're getting some thought into what's going on, which is maybe better than just taking a random name off a ballot because they have an R next to their name. But maybe we should have a combination. Like you say, you're appointed for five years, seven years, 10 years, and then we get to reevaluate you and you're not there forever. Of course, I think we should do that with the Supreme Court. Um, I heard, I think it was Tucker was making fun of the esteemed Justice Sotomayor for not knowing the difference between de jure and de facto. Did you guys hear that? I no. did. Um, that's kind of sad, isn't it? It's to be expected. She was appointed because she's a hack. All three of those Democrats were appointed because they're hacks. It's not because she was a Latino woman. What? And, oh, and yeah. frankly, Kavanaugh and and Roberts were were appointed because they were going to be hacks on the Republican side. I mean, to me, there aren't a whole lot of quality brains on the on the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas is 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 a hero to me. I think Alito and, and Gorsuch are relatively intelligent people. Barrett is too new for me to really know. Um, but I, I think that Barrett was also appointed because she was a woman. And I think that Trump thought that, you know, he, he I mean, I'm not saying that she's unqualified, but I think the primary thing that qualified her was her vagina. This is pretty sad stuff. And again, with no term limit, no reappointment to Supreme Court, you know, you can sit there for 40, 50 years. It's it's pretty scary stuff so how are they going to vote on this affirmative action case 
no question about it. They're going to vote six two to strike down affirmative action. Yeah. Now, all I saw was that people already yelling that if KTJ recused herself, where are you, Clarence Thomas? Right. <laughs> That's the only reason she recused herself. She knew. She but knew that that. no way that it's going to be upheld. So it didn't matter if it's six two or six three. She recused herself to make the argument that you're alluding to, but there is no chance. I mean, if you go back to the 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 previous opinions from 2003 uh, in the Michigan cases, um, they said 20 years ago that affirmative action has a shelf life. It's not. It, it can't last forever, and there's going to come a day when it has to be put aside. And I think that day has come. Amen. Mike, you're a white male with no minority status that I can see. Uh, today, I don't identify that way. Okay. But at uh, one point in your life, you may have, but you don't have any minority statuses that I know of. It's really bad out there for white males, isn't it? Trying to get into a school, get into a job, get anything. Of course, there's no other group more discriminated against in today's society. I mean, you're practically sunk. You literally can't do anything without... <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I get any benefit for being short. Maybe that's that's one advantage I get. So I'm in the short group. Disadvantage. I mean, horrifically scary trying to get into school <laughs> or a professional school. And apparently yeah. doctors are not getting into medical school on affirmative action, which is a very uh, cheerful thing. Well, I think well, what's interesting, there. again, about this affirmative action case is it was a, one of them, at least, was brought by Asian students that are mm -hmm. the ones that are really being harmed, too, by these. Apology. You're an Asian white supremacist student. Yeah, exactly. Gina? I don't even remember what I was going to say. Skip me. It, it came in <laughs> and out that quick. Uh, I thought that only happens at my advanced age. Yes, you got you to take your ginkgo <laughs> before the show. Right. It was never justified. It was never justifiable. And I think it's going to be overturned. There's very little doubt in my mind. I mean, again... We believe in individual rights and liberty. It's as simple as that. When you have these kinds of policies, you're taking aim at people purely because of their skin color or what have you. It's it's totally un-American. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Well, as Clarence, sorry, Thomas sorry, said during, as Clarence Thomas said during the oral argument, the arguments that were being made in favor of affirmative action sounded a lot like the arguments made in favor of segregation that he'd heard mm -hmm. when he was growing yeah, up. Yeah, I saw, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and I guess that means he does talk once in a while. Mm -hmm. Well, he just you know, doesn't we, believe that that law is a gotcha game. He he. That's why he doesn't ask a lot of questions. He he doesn't try and berate the the attorneys. His his philosophy is: if I have a really important question, I'll ask it. But I'd rather just ask for briefing on it mm -hmm. because law is about to, is supposed to be a thoughtful process. Where you do a written written submission and you think about what you want to say, and it's it's not about how quick you are on your feet, or it's not supposed to be about how quick you are on the feet on your feet. It should supposed to be a thoughtful process, and mm -hmm. you know, I, I just he's he's a hero to me because I think that he is so well reasoned in his opinions and so uh, properly measured in a courtroom that uh, I just love yeah. I love what he does. It, it's going to be a sad day when he's gone because he's the last heavyweight remaining, really, right, on the court. I think we got another 10 or 15 years. Easy. Not easy, but at, le yeah. at least. So, 
That's he wants to be the longest tenured judge, I think. And he's he's got a good chance of making it. Let's hope so. Wow. So <laughs> let me, uh, since we haven't argued much today, let me bring up this story and my gut reaction to it, which may be wrong. CVS, Walmart, Walgreens agreed a 13.8 billion opioid settlement. Um, why is my gut say nobody should be paying any opioid settlements? Well, North Carolina has already received money for opioid settlements. And all that money is going to do is, you know, our county, for example, is trying to build a $9 million drug treatment facility with inflation, probably $13 million um, that the taxpayers can't afford just so our commissioners can put their names on the building, on a plaque. Um, Has anybody seen a Walgreens employee shove opioids down someone's throat? What's the claim that's made? What is the settlement for? I, I didn't read the story. I assume it's like the one that they took out. What's that big company they took out? Purdue Brothers or something? For an opioid settlement? Yeah, you know, for either false advertising or making people take drugs or whatever. I don't know. Let's see. But the pharmacies are just dispensaries, right? They're not prescribing. Yeah. Why would, what's the claim against them? Okay, three major retailers have tentatively reached an agreement to resolve thousands of state and local government lawsuits involving opioid painkillers. Um, blah, blah, blah. Be the first nationwide deal following nationwide opioid settlements with drug makers and distributors totaling more than $33 billion. Um, state and local governments accuse drug makers of downplaying the risks of their opioid pain medicines and distributors and pharmacies of ignoring red flags that prescriptions were being diverted into illegal trafficking. Whoa. So I guess pharmacies should be investigators? Mm-hmm. It'll be like trying to get Sudafed. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine situation where they should be, you know, basically shall issue, right? You get a prescription, they should be, they should have to fill it. And here the, here the government is saying the opposite. Now, wasn't it the law that you had to fill a prescription if it was for abortion? And if you wouldn't, you would like use your, lose your license, but then everything changed with COVID the other, the other direction. You're not allowed to fill it. But yeah, are just, you 486? Yeah, I'm just, well, remember that all the fights where pharmacists didn't want to give out some even contraception, I believe. But I'm just, I'm a little bit struggling with the personal responsibility issue. No one makes anybody ingest anything. And I don't know. True. But if there's anybody it, responsible, it's, it's big pharma again. So it's interesting you bring this up. But why but are this, they responsible? This, this, this pre, well, I want to, well, they they pushed it. They're they're the ones that made it sound like it was safe, and they put pressure. I, I don't know if they put pressure, but they got doctors basically to prescribe the stuff. You know, they did it have know. anything to do I mean, with it, just the fact that they weren't taking? I like because I have for my painkillers when I have surgery or whatever. You know, I've got to give my ID. For example, like is it because they maybe didn't have those things in place before they gave them out that made them accessible to so many people? But I, I think my 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 point was again about the trust that's been eroded in the in terms of big pharma, the medical community, because the opioid situation predates COVID, and there's no question that they 
they were pushing the opioids and making it seem as if they were safe and that you know there, there wasn't going to be an addiction problem and things like that and now we have it's, it's exploded over the last number of years yeah but that's the same so, if we have a if we have a drug dealer that sells drugs he's the one that gets charged he's the distributor it's not the maker of the fentanyl or the maker of so i mean i kind of see where it's at because they are the distribution point for that and there should be some type of responsibility for what they're giving out how much they're giving out who it's actually going to and all of that so i don't know if there was cases from different states brought forth where you know they were giving it to incorrect people or giving out too much i i don't know Right. I don't know the facts of the case, so it's hard for me to comment directly. But Stephen, addressing your point about individual responsibility, of course, I think all four of us would are for individual responsibility. But from my perspective, I don't have any problem whatsoever with a government enforcement agency protecting the public from misleading or or fraudulent claim, uh, marketing claims or, or uh, representations or advertising. Um, yes, the private sector should be able to, to bring the bring an action if need be, but I don't have a problem with, with the attorney general acting to protect the public from, from false claims, from false advertising, false marketing. I mean, I don't know if that's what, what's going on here, but if it was, um, that I don't know why that, that bothers you, and I don't know why no, that's- No, the false consistent. advertising probably wouldn't bother me um, I'm just, again, is this pharmacy thing because they weren't separating, you know, illegal drug dealers from real patients? That's the angle this tiny story seemed to say. I just think if you, if your doctor writes a prescription and you pick it up, why should a pharmacy pay a penalty for that? Their job right. is to give you whatever the doctor said, isn't it? Yes, I think so. And that's why I brought up the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine right. examples. Um if if they're being punished for for not practicing medicine and overruling the doctor's prescription, I have a problem with that. But if they're being punished because they contributed to the to the net to the uh, grandiose claims being made, then I wouldn't have a, such a problem. But I don't know what I don't know what the law. Right, I don't know. We all go to pharmacies, and I don't think we've ever seen them having signs or flyers take this drug, it's not addicting. I think that's strictly one big pharma and doctors who do push this stuff. Well, I, I think when you go to pick up your prescription nowadays, they'll ask you, do you want to talk to the pharmacist? Now, how many of us actually say, okay, I want to talk to the pharmacist now for a couple of minutes so he can explain or she. Uh, well, it, it's the same I thing do. that they or had they, to... Or they <laughs> would it, want to explain exactly how that you know, that, the drug um, I ask questions all the time, Mike, but I know most people don't. Okay. Well, think about <laughs> all, think about, I know CVS was one of them. Rite Aid was a big one years and years and years ago. They were sued because of medications crossing or conflicting with each other. Cause there was a lot of lives lost lost and they've put different computer programs in there to say, alert, alert, this pill cannot be taken with this pill because it'll cause a blood clot. It'll cause a heart attack, cause any of that and those pharmacies were responsible for that the doctors were the ones prescribing it you know they made had like my my dad for example you know he had his orthopedic surgeon and i can't remember what the other surgeon was he had two surgeries within a two-week period the medications that he was taking together there was no flag and it caused a blood clot and killed him so i mean there are 
there's been other precedent maybe and that's it's got something to do with it. I have no idea, but I know they've been held responsible for a lot in the past. And I guess that goes back to who is it on to know what medication they're on. I mean, right. I think it's great that pharmacies do flag it. And I've had pharmacies. We happen to have a community pharmacy that we use that we're very good friends with, that we talk to all the time. And they will call us up and say their computer program flagged. And it's a very personal right. relationship, which is nice. Um, even though I live in New York City, it's kind of a community pharmacy. But ultimately, that's the doctor and the patient's responsibility um, to know what else you're taking. I don't fully agree with that, Stephen. I mean, it, I, you know, if you have a situation where drug A is perfectly legal and drug, drug B is perfectly legal, but drug A and B together cause some dastardly side effect, I don't think that the pharmacy can just blindly say, okay, this patient has prescriptions for drug A and drug B. I'm just going to fill them without giving any kind of disclose any kind of disclosure or warning. I think that they have an obligation to give that warning because they're supposed to know what they're what they're dispensing. Right. And I don't have a problem with that part and I think pharmacists we don't use their expertise nearly enough. But if I go to Rite Aid for one and to Walgreens for the other, assuming one doesn't own the other, then right. it's on me or the right. doctor that or the doctor. Correct. I, I agree, but I can't imagine that that's what they're being pseudo. And I don't know, because when I go to a pharmacy, and again, I don't really go to many, but I don't think they ask me what other medications I'm on. My doctor does, and my main pharmacy knows what medications I'm on. But if you go to write a drive through because it's the only thing open at midnight, they don't ask you what else you're taking. They assume your doctor wrote the prescription knowing what you're taking. And I think they have a right to do that. Yeah. We have to we we'd have to know the facts of the case of what's being alleged. I, I don't know what's being alleged, so I don't. I, it's hard to say. Yeah, because then it would even come down to you know the insurance agency because the insurance agency is the one that's approving the medication for you to take in the first place that authorizes the pharmacy to do it. So what's their role in the whole process oh boy, as well? Gina. Yeah, I totally. I'm just saying. That. I mean, you could keep going I, down the rabbit hole, you know. I, I think the insurance company has no business saying yes or no about anything other than this is covered or not covered under the plan. They have right. absolutely no business overriding either the doctor or the pharmacist. Well, whatsoever. see, and that's the thing, because they'll say, no, we're not paying for this one, but we'll pay for this one. I mean, they they control that a lot, you know, whether it's- a, Well, I you think taking... you give them that control by signing up for their policy. Well, then well, I guess we're I in, think that's, right I, fault to begin with. In, in my opinion, and I know that this is not what the state of the law is, but in my opinion, that's the unauthorized practice of medicine. And that insurance company. It's not unauthorized practice of medicine because they have medical people behind it. But their medical people are not examining you. They have no knowledge of your individual situation. And they, um, and, and insofar as if they make a denial and you wind up dying, they should be subject to malpractice, but they're not. They're, okay. I actually have this going on with somebody very close to me where an insurance company is denying a very, very expensive drug. And the capitalist in me is like, hell yeah, I'm glad you're protecting my investment. The uh, person who cares about the patient obviously has a different view, but it is a doctor making a decision that there are other medications based on your medical records that can help you. That's not practicing medicine without a license. They're basing it on medical records, which second opinions do. Well, it depends on what level of substitute it is. If you're talking about just a generic equivalent, then I would agree with you. But if you're talking about two different drugs that have different 
profiles and different uh, methods of working, I don't think that a doctor who's never laid eyes on you, let alone a glove on you, should be overruling a doctor that's that is. Wow, uh, we could get into a really interesting discussion here. Um, If you go back into psychiatry, which I was in the field for quite a while, not as a psychiatrist, but I dealt with a lot of psychiatric patients. And, you know, Prozac hit the markets in the mid 80s and took over the world. And then there were a whole bunch of other other SSRIs. And it was within, I think, the last year that all these studies came out that the whole thing was a big lie. Um, A, some people say nothing's biologic. And B, there's been a lot of other studies to say they are absolutely not better than the cheap tricyclics that they were giving before that. So now when insurance companies were saying in 1995, we're not giving you Prozac at $20 a pill. We want you to take Elevil at 50 cents a pill. Why shouldn't they have that right? And it comes out they're correct that the old ones were just as good as the new flashy ones. And it is big pharma lying, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not, I'm not 100% if that's, sure. If, if that's the case, they should they should be on the hook for malpractice for if anything goes wrong. That's fine. If, the, if you want to say that they should be able to Substitute they, why aren't, why aren't, okay, so what you're saying is if they turn down this $40,000 a dose medication and say, based on your profile and what we've reviewed your records, we think you can get on fine with a $1,000 medicine, you're saying they should be liable if the patient dies. If the patient dies and and the state wants to sue and say the patient would have lived with the with the other medicine and can get an expert to prove that, Yes, I think that's malpractice. So they should be suable just like the doctor. I think so, yes. And is that clearly not the law anywhere? And by the way, do we sign that away when we sign up for insurance? It's clearly not the law anywhere. I Has believe... anybody ever read a document when they bought an insurance policy, Mike? You don't do that. I don't think it's insurance. insurance. I don't think it's the policy. I think it's ERISA. I think it's federal law. I think. So then it is a law that, that absolves them. Mike, you you review insurance policies for a living, right? So you probably know what they say. I assume when you buy a homeowner's insurance, you sign away all kinds of rights that you've never seen. No, not necessarily. No, like maybe arbitration clauses, it doesn't, things like that. I mean, most po- policies have certain things in, in common. Um, you'll see. I mean, we're getting into a different discussion here, but. Uh, you know, I don't think homeowners policies are going to function the same way as a healthcare policy does. Okay, but what I'm saying just, is, people do not read what they sign, and when you buy a homeowners no, policy, it's got 50 pages of gobbledygook, and nobody knows yeah. what it's signed. Well, that's I the just, bigger problem with property insurance: is people get the policy, they buy a house, they throw it in the drawer, they think they're going to be covered if, if something happens, and the day there is a loss, they break it out, and surprise, surprise you're not covered for this, or there's a stipulation about how appraisal works or, you know, things like that, that effectively are taking certain coverages away based on what used to be sort of the gold standard, if you will, for, for homeowners insurance. So Steve, I'm just, I don't I'm think just that asserting to... that there may be those, when you get a health insurance policy, at some point they do send you a whole bunch of stuff. And nobody reads that. And then there you may have given up your rights to certain things. Stephen, I don't think that you can contract that, that right away because you are relying on the expertise of a, do- of a professional. And I don't think you can contract away malpractice, period. 
if the insurance company wants to have a doctor render a second opinion, that's that's fine. You can contract that, but they cannot contract away malpractice. Why you not? are relying by definition on the expertise of that professional. And it, you are not able to know the things that that prof professional knows. I, I think that if they want to do that, yes, they should be able to reserve the right to 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 overrule their the doctor. But if they commit malpractice, they should be up the creek just like any other doctor. Okay. Am I incorrect that when you hire a lawyer, he may or can put into your retainer contract agreement that you can't sue him, you have to go to arbitration? Why is that different than this? It's that you're you're mistaken. The only thing you can go to arbitration over is a fee dispute. A fee dispute, which I had a major one with a lawyer. Okay, but you're signing away your right. You're not signing away your right. You you have the option. Okay. The, the, yeah, I, I know the bar rules in New York or and New Jersey. If the client doesn't want to go to arbitration, the client wants to sue in court, the client has the right to do that. You're saying he can't contract away that right. And I don't understand as a libertarian, I'm saying that he can contract away a right. I'm saying you can't contract away malpractice. Why not? Because malpractice involves a fiduciary obligation. That's very nice. I get it. However, as a sovereign person, I have a right to contract any of my rights away. And why not? If I say to a doctor, I like your help, and I agree I won't sue you under any circumstance, and we both sign, and he says we both agree to that, why would I ever have a right to go back on my word? I have a right to contract anything I want. As a professional, I don't think you should have the right to contract that away. If some patient wants to come to the doctor and say, hey, will you please treat me, and I promise not to sue you for malpractice, I'm I'm not I might be okay with that one, but that's never going to happen. That's one of those that that's that's a theory land hypothetical. In the real world, the doctor is the one that's going to have the contract and offer the contract. And I don't think that a, that the professional, as an acting as a fiduciary, has any business or right to even request that the client waive malpractice. I just don't. Well, what's interesting, because I believe in New York State, for instance, malpractice is super regulated. You can only get certain amounts of recoveries, et cetera. Um, so they, in essence, have taken away your rights to sue for malpractice. I don't agree with those either. Okay. So, I mean, we're good because we can get juries to uh, award billions, I guess. Wait, I just, I just read an article. So a new article just came out. So the state of Pennsylvania, since 2015, taxpayers have paid $16 million for gender assignment surgeries for minors. That is absolutely flipping ridiculous. $16 million tax funded. And who, who approves that? Governors or legislators? Um, or if I'm reading this right, it's Governor Wolf is the last one that's been approved it. And they approve that on their own, right? They don't need a legislative body. Right. For whatever reason. Wow. Well, that, that, I mean, where where is what what is the government program that they have? It is place? it's it's funded through chips. So through their children's like Medicaid for low income families. Government funded healthcare program. Healthcare. That re that really is the problem now, isn't it? Wow. It, it even exists. You know, we have that in New yes. Jersey too. We have like a public yeah. option in New Jersey. Yeah, so everybody you, needs you, to get on Medicaid so they can have gender reassignment surgery for you free. Republicans there you go. want children to die. 
Mm, sure. I know, horrible people. That's why we're pro-jab for three-year-olds, yeah. Now, I still have a problem with New York apparently is paying out, in New York or some other place, $36 million to the wrongfully convicted murderer of Malcolm X. Now, what? I don't know any prosecutor who's paying that, and I don't know any government official paying that. I just think it's taxpayers paying that. And I've always had issues with that. I mean, look, I mean, as bad as that is, I mean, how many of these state governments are funding abortions, taxpayer subsidized abortion. I mean, so <laughs> New Jersey does it. Well, now they're going to pay for your flight and hotel too, aren't they? Yeah, mm -hmm. money, to, money to Planned Parenthood, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, now that we can identify as women, we can get those vacations. Wouldn't that be nice? Good idea. Yeah, but yeah, now you're yeah. taking my now you're taking mine away from me. That's not fair. I can oh. just see Liberty Block's phones being lit up tonight. We want you to pay to fly us to California. Well, we at least now that uh, not California, let's fly to Florida. Florida, you can get those things, can you? Okay. Oh, at that's at right. least now that uh, that men can get pregnant and have babies, uh, they can get taxpayer-funded abortions too. So we have equity. We have. There's one more story I see here that I'd like to bring up for a second. Um, that they arrested the 2,000 mules people. Catherine Engelbrecht, the True the Vote people, were arrested. He was arrested? I think Catherine Engelbrecht is her name, the heads of True the yeah. Vote. Um, they were arrested on some kind of contempt of court charge for not turning over, I think, the name of a source or something. Correct. You guys haven't seen this? I, mean, I haven't seen that. Okay, it's just another way or another instance. Will you put the link in the chat? I really want to see that. Okay. If you have it. Yeah, of course I have it. I got I to gotta do something to earn my keep here, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's actually a Twitter link, but I will send it anyway. Dinesh D'Souza put it up. But yeah. I, it, it just seems well, to be one more instance of the government finding a way to punish their adversaries. So is everybody going to be on Twitter now that Elon's in there cleaning house? I never left, but I never was very active. Mm -hmm. I see a How lot of you, people Mike? are distrustful of him. I'm I'm not so distrustful. I'm I'm happy that he's he's the new owner and and leader. Until he gives us a, a legitimate reason to think otherwise, give him the benefit of the doubt to this point for sure. Mm -hmm. I think he started off doing pretty darn well. I don't think I've ever tweeted in my life, so I guess I'm a, a virgin. But I'm not sure I would know how to tweet. You figure it out. It would be interesting to see if he's going to really do good stuff. I mean, yes, he started wow. off in an interesting direction, and that's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, did you see the fact check that he put up on, on Biden's tweet? Yeah, he ripped <laughs> Biden good. It was interesting. How does this guy have enough time to run all these companies and still tweet about things, and now he's going to head their board? And because he's put enough people, enough of the right people in the right places. That's why. That's why he can, you know, afford to bring them from those places, bring them onto the boards or not the boards, but into positions, you know, for engineering and all that over there at Twitter. He, he's, right. But my he's understanding is he's done that off of our pockets anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, if Trump, if Trump could be president and tweet away, certainly Elon can tweet away. There you uh, go. Well, I, yeah, I don't even want to know why Trump had time to tweet, but... <laughs> Maybe, maybe they got somebody following them around and as soon as they spit something out, they've got their, their personal assistant that tweets for them. Okay, and they what spit would something be, out. Uh, the name of that job position, what would you call him? A tweetster. A tweetster. 
And you yeah. get, mommy, I want to grow up to be a tweetster. Yeah, I'd take the job. I'd take yeah. it. Yeah. You get to travel. No, you're doing is tweeting. Yeah, I, I'm, all, I'm all over it. I'm your personal tweetster. Mm-hmm. Put that on my resume. There all right. Go. Real quick. What didn't we get to today? Oh, geez. I think we a lot. Predictions for the for next week. Ooh. So is Zeldin going to take it? What's everybody's gut saying? Are we going by win or win or win in general? I, th- I think he's going to win. Who? Zeldin. I think Zeldin's going to win. I think he's going to win and it's not going to be that close. What about Whitmer and Tudor? I think Tudor's going to win. Wow. And he's another potential star. Harry's got hers locked in, yeah. Say it again, Mike. I said she's a, another potential star, I think. Tudor Dixon? Yeah. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. She's also easy to look at, but anyway. Oh. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie Lake's not bad. <laughs> and listen, we have Hockle, so our standards are... Uh... Oh, you know <laughs> what we didn't talk about? I'm ashamed. We Uh-oh. didn't talk about the yellow school buses. Don't you remember how much you loved yellow school buses? Yellow what? School are they offensive now or so something? Wonderful. What? Is no, the yellow offensive now or something? You didn't see the, the clip from no. Kamala? No. We all have memories of yellow school buses. Because oh. yellow school buses are wonderful. And aren't yellow school buses wonderful? And you know what that them. reminded me of, Stephen? What was That's it? What was it regarding? Well, she was oh. just. She was electric marveling school at buses. these school buses that are electric. Just out of nowhere? No, no. She was stumping for electric school buses. Oh, God. You know what it reminded me of, Stephen? And I guess, Mike, you're old enough. You might remember this. In, uh, in 1991 or 1992, George H.W. Bush went into a grocery store and saw those automatic scanners and thought, wow, these are amazing. <laughs> remember that? Yeah, that was a big deal. Remember that. That was a everybody hates them now, don't they? Just wish Uh, you had a good cashier. The clip clip of Kamala singing the wheels on the bus go round, round, round was like taking (laughs) it down. I'm gonna have to find that. All right, somebody's gotta save me by saying something intelligent before we close. I think next week is gonna be Passover for the Republicans. I don't think any Republican incumbent is gonna lose other than. Murkowski, who's not really running as the incumbent, she's was defeated in the primary. You think they're going to get rid of her, right? I think that one is going to be subject to a recount and possibly a runoff. But yes, I think she's going to lose. I think that's a major, major win if she loses. That'd be fantastic. That's a message election. Yeah, I think so, especially given that McConnell has tried to meddle in it and he's going to lose. And I think that's going to undermine him. That would be phenomenal. I, I I think Bullduck is going to win. I'm not as confident that he's going to win as as the others, but um, I, I think that there's a a reservoir of of uh, discontent for for what the Democrats are doing that uh, is not showing up in the same way that there was a similar reservoir of support for Trump that didn't show up in the polls in 2016. And I think it's going to be a. I think that the the Republicans are going to wind up with 54 or 55 in the Senate when we wake up on Wednesday morning. Uh, there'll probably be a couple that are being contested, maybe recounts, 
So it might go up on that. And I think we're going to have about high two four, maybe 250 in the, in the house, which is a much bigger number than anybody is predicting. That's okay. what I'm, I'm thinking. And all the governor races. I think the important ones are all going to go Republican way. I think that Lake is going to win. Tudor is going to win or Tudor Dixon's going to win. I think Zeldin's going to win. I think Stacey Abrams yeah. is going to get shamed in in mm -hmm. in, uh, in Georgia. I think Herschel uh, Walker is going to beat Warnock. Um, if, if Stacey Abrams loses, then Steve's wish earlier that Marjorie Taylor Greene would run in four years goes by the board. But that that would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Marjorie Taylor Greene against Stacey Abrams. Well, does Kemp get to run again? I don't think so. So it'd be an open seat. I think that'll be his last four. Oh, year okay, got you, guys. So that would be interesting. <laughs> I mean, obviously, some of us. So are it, it still could happen. happen. It could happen. MTG versus Stacey Abrams. Oh gosh. All right, now we're, we're moving into UFC territory, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, Stacey Abrams is never going to concede anyway, so but she'll she be running for third term, conceded, right? Well, yeah, huh? it's. It, you bring up an interesting point, Ed. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many of these Democrats uh, say that the, the election was fraudulent uh, after uh, what happened with Biden. Mm -hmm. Election deniers. May yeah, maybe maybe they'll, they'll even uh, have protests on Capitol Hill that we have to be concerned about. I do know next Wednesday will be interesting. So one can hope. <laughs> All right, folks. With that, we will wrap it up for the evening and we will be back next Wednesday to discuss the results of oh, the election. Hopefully nobody else going on record? <laughs> I, I agree oh, with you, everything you said. Everything. You're, you're, very, you're very bullish, Ed. But I, I, I hope you're right. Uh, I'm not sure about People the People have ended the word bull with some other things when they <laughs> yeah, talk about me, but... Um, all right. sure they have. <laughs> okay, I have very strong oh. jinx powers, so I'm going to be quiet. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe that, follow the Ravens. <laughs> okay. Never more, never okay. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you very much. We'll be up as a podcast quite shortly with video clips, hopefully up on Rumble and other media as well. Have a great night.